My name is Carolyn Osorio, also known as Pippi Mama, and my podcast, Pippi Mama, Life Outside the Cookie Cutter, is all about serving up a portion of inspiration, family style. You know, living outside the cookie cutter isn't always easy. In fact, at times, it can be downright lonely, especially if you don't have support, friends, families, mentors to share and help you refine your vision. What if you have this dream burning inside of you and you've been toiling at it to make it a reality and you don't have access to people for support to help you? Well, I'm going to talk to Howard Bihar, former Starbucks International President and author of the popular business leadership book, It's Not About the Coffee. And also he has a new book, The Magic Cup, a parable about the power of putting people and values first. In my interview, we talk about what you need most of all, whether you have a mentor or not, and that is introspection, the ability to ask yourself, what are my goals, values, and principles, and sticking to those. Okay, thank you for talking with me and to Howard Bihar. Welcome to Pippi Mama Life Outside the Cookie Cutter. So I've got both of your books right next to me. It's not about the coffee and, of course, the new, the latest one, The Magic Cup. And I'll have to tell you, it's been really fun getting to know your values, your goals, and your principles through these two books. I've actually really, really, really enjoyed um, your leadership and what you have to offer. But I'm guessing over the 20 plus years that uh, you were helping to build Starbucks, um, focusing on people and not just profits, you probably encountered a lot of naysayers along the way, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is endless. You know, I mean, naysayers came in all shapes and sizes from our investors to uh, even our people sometimes, you know, that couldn't get on board with it. And, and of course, you know, no matter what, how much you do or what you do, of course, it's never enough either. You get you get both sides of the coin. But we stuck to our knitting and we tried to respond, and they still do the same thing, try to respond to what's going on in the world around them and make sure they're ahead of the curve if they can be. So now, uh, that brings up an interesting point in the book where Howard in the, uh, in the beginning of the book said, um, you know, as a leader, you're always trying to build confidence. So the vulnerability and doubt you experience aren't characteristics that a lot of us feel comfortable revealing, and it can be very lonely. Howard and I had each other to talk to. Our conversations were about strategy, but they were also structured around our own dynamics. So do you think that that helps like when you're doing stuff outside the cookie cutter, when you're trying to, you know, build something that there are, like I said, there are a lot of naysayers. Do you think having, you know, part of your success were, were, were having people to talk to that shared the same um, dream? Absolutely. I mean, you got to be able to share the same dreams. You know, it's basically it's the same greater purpose. You don't have to be the same. You're not the same people. You may not have all the same personal goals. But for an organization or for a family, you know, if you want to have a productive, healthy uh, family, then you have to share the same dreams. You know what happens when you don't? What? You get you get off track, and usually it ends in divorce. Well, what do you think for people who don't have? such a great support system. Think of this somebody, you know, the young person out there, or even maybe the middle-aged person who's like, you know, has a dream and never realized it and wants to. How do you go about getting that, that structure to support? Because as you know, there's the naysayers and sometimes it's hard to share your dreams and people are afraid of going for their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'll give you an example. My wife, Lynn, and I, We've been married for 39 years now. We, we came from, each of us have been married before we each had a child. So we were bringing together basically a nuclear family and, and 
I was stepping into a relationship which was totally different than any relationship I'd ever had before. I stepped into a relationship with a woman that wanted to be, was fiercely independent. You know, and I grew up in a nice Jewish family household where the father was the king and the mother was, you know, ironed the socks. Oh, man. And so there was never any of those kinds of conversations. So we decided to, um, to start having a, what we called a family planning retreat. And at the beginning, we just did it ourselves. We would go away for the weekend, take some really nice wine, go to a place we liked, and we'd go into our own rooms and, and we would um, write up on, on uh, white paper, the, you know, that sticky stuff that you put on the walls, yeah. and under a number of headings, spirituality, marriage, children, extended family, uh, what we call career at that time, personal growth, vacations, whatever it happened to be that we wanted as our headings. And we would each write what our own personal goals were for those areas. Then we would come back and share those things with each other. With You could only ask clarifying questions. You couldn't make any judgments. And we learned so much about each other in that journey. And we learned where we were totally in sync, and we figured out where we weren't in sync. She wanted to get, she, my wife did not have a college degree when we got married. And, and, and I kept asking her, what is it you want to do with your life? And she came back and had planning retreats. She said, I want to go to college. I want to get a degree. And that went from getting an undergraduate in business to getting a graduate in social work to getting a Ph.D. in social work. And it was all discussed in those retreats. So I was doing the same thing with her. You know, I loved my work, and I knew I was going to travel a lot. We negotiated everything inside those retreats about family things, about all sorts of things. Now, did we, did that stop all the blowouts? No. But the blowouts were usually something that really didn't matter, you know, those kinds of things. Big stuff we, we got done in our work, and it was an incredible, made an incredible difference in our life. So we were basically asking each other for support. Now, suppose that I said, well, I'm sorry, you know, we just can't afford to go, for you to go to school, and I don't really, I don't really want to spend family resources on that. That would have been a place to find out, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because you might as well find out what you're dealing with, and then you either say, okay, well, I'll give that dream up, or, you know, that's not okay with me. But you guys had the core relationship already kind of established, obviously, in getting married. Well, we did, but, you know, it wasn't like I was 20 days out of a marriage when I met Lynn. She'd been single for six years, so we didn't, you know, we're like all, all people. We didn't know each other that well. We'd gone together for a year or two, but, you know, you really don't know, and we decided we were going to know, and we did that work, and we continue to do that work. We created a, um, a statement of purpose for our marriage that hangs on our wall in our bedroom. Wow. Well, that brings me to another piece in your in your books. You have a lot of quotes. I think one of the hardest ones I got from the book, it's not about the coffee, is the the compassionate, what what is it? The compassionate, like, where you... Compassionate emptiness. Yes, compassionate emptiness. I'm sorry. Isn't that a great quote? It's, it's, a, it's fantastic. Two words. It's fantastic because it's so difficult to do, and yet you want to do that work. You know, I just love it. And I think that what what would you say about like people like who who don't have mentors, but who can use quotes like that and just other things? What what can you give people who want to, you know, do what you did basically and follow your dreams? But, you know, aren't you? You don't need to be me. Howard Bihar was a guy that barely got out of high school, 
I got I had two years of community college, and what I was really good at was beer, and I and I got really good at single malt scotch. I'm not I'm not Howard Behar, some brilliant guy. I just did the work. I started to do interpersonal work with myself. I first had to know what made me tick. Who was Howard? Right? And I was about in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, and I started to decide. I work on what were my values. Really, to just to write down, I came up with eight core values out of a list of about 300, and then I said, uh, "What's my personal? Or what do those values mean to me?" So my first core value is honesty. So what does honesty really mean to me? How does it inform my actions? Because if you talked, everybody you would talk to said they were honest. They would say they're honest, but each of us would would act in a different way. You know, each of us might tell a different kind of white lie. So, so you have to decide what are your values and how do those values inform your life and your actions in your life. And then a mission statement. What is it you're trying to leave behind in this world? You know, my mission statement goes like this. I want to nurture, I want to, uh, my brain just went dead. Every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. Every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I say self first because of what I found out in life, that if you're not okay physically and emotionally and mentally with yourself, it's hard to help somebody else. But every day I try to live by that. And sometimes it's just picking up a piece of paper off the street that somebody dropped, you know? But you try to do this. So anybody can do this work. Anybody. You just have to do it. you got to write it down. I mean, I'll bet you that probably out of your listeners, I'll bet you they're... There are 10 people, and I don't know how many listeners you have, that can write down their eight core values and define what they mean to them and how they inform their actions because we don't spend the time doing it. So you would, that would be your advice is, to, is, is, is if there's something that you really want to achieve just in business and in life. You know, that's one thing that's great about your books is that they're not only business and leadership books, but they're also life lessons that you obviously out of, you know, your years of work with Starbucks and, and before then, do you think that those those things that you've learned as a leader, you've brought those into your marriage, your, your second marriage, and that's why it might have been more successful than the first? Or No question. I had, uh, by the time Lynn and I met and got married, I had, gone, I had begun that journey. And I was big into the journey, and I was really introspective about myself. And it requires introspection. You got to look at yourself. You really do. And it's it's not it's sometimes it can be painful, but it's not. It's just asking yourself questions. How do I feel, really feel about this? So what did- I really would like to accomplish in my life. I mean, you know, we had material goals. We had what kind of house we have, what kind of cars. We had economic goals, how much we wanted to earn. You know, not did everything come true? No. We didn't achieve every goal we set out, but what was amazing is how many did we did achieve because we wrote them down. So anybody can do this. There's nothing magic about this work at all. It's not. It's it. It's. I, I'd like to say it's difficult. It is a little difficult because it requires patience and persistence. But but you know nothing you write down has to be written in stone. You know you can change anything you want. You don't like one value, change it. You don't like a different goal, change it. You know, and but you need to do the work, and so anybody can do it. You know that quote, "Compassion and emptiness." Yeah. I always struggled. You know, men particularly, we 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 want to be solution oriented. So, you know, our spouses come to us and tell us about the day they had, and immediately we go into, well, "Why didn't you do this?" or "How about doing that?" It's not what they want. Well, that's why I brought that up because when you talked about you and your wife 
each gets their turn to say what they want. And then you, you said that that key element, which is you can ask clarifying questions, but no judgments. And that is, I think, um, you know, the heart of why it's hard for people to actually go out there and get what they want because they're afraid of being rejected and being, you know, it, it so, takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, it takes it takes courage. Look, at my wife by nature was not comfortable with the, with the planning. She wasn't. She's an oncology social worker. So she's dealing with people that are dying of cancer in their families. They're not thinking about five years out. They're thinking about today. Will I survive? And so it wasn't by nature, but she, she humored me and we did it and it helped us. And I, you don't have to be perfectly in sync. You just kind of have to start it. But compassion and emptiness, you know, I didn't really get it. You know, my kids, you know, they'd come and talk and I'd always want to be solution. They'd get mad at me. You know, I'd say, oh, God darn it, there you go, do it again. Finally, I saw those two words and I said, I get it. Compassionate about their issues and their problems, but empty of solutions. So do you think that you're, that you've uh, mastered that or do you think that? (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) Hell no, I have not. I am much better than I was, but my first instinct, right? Yeah. Is that little voice in my head says, well, why don't you do that? And then I catch myself and I say, well, that's interesting. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about your your uh, your latest book, The Magic Cup. I, I yeah. felt like it seemed like it was very personal. I felt because obviously as a writer, I understand that you know I'm sure you're not you know it's a fictional book, but you know yeah. you're the protagonist. It's your you know your experience and steadfast seemed like it seemed like you know you really in that character. Um, you know, showed the side, the vulnerable side of, you know, CEOs and people that are in positions of power. And I really appreciated that. Was I, am I reading that correctly or? Oh, you're absolutely reading that right. Is that we're not perfect. And, you know, here was somebody that thought he was ready to be the CEO. His boss thought he was too. And, but he had to learn lessons along the way. And he felt like, you know, he was pretty clear about his values, yet he'd fall into the trap. Yeah. Right? And he had to deal with it in real-time situations. And when, when we're dealing with life, we're, human beings are incredibly fragile. <laughs> right? yeah. When things are going great, we sometimes we think they're going to go great forever. When things are going bad, we're sure life is over. <laughs> and we fall through that. I've been there a lot of times. I'm still at 72. I still fall into the trap. And I have to find my way back to why I'm here again. You know, and Sometimes it takes me a minute. Sometimes it takes me a week. Really? I've had a time where it's taken me two years. For you, personally, like, how do you process that? How do you get back? I don't know. Is that a personality type, or do you think that's everyone? I feel like I'm like that, too. Do you think that that's just the way we we all are, or do you think... I think we all have the capabilities. But remember that being fragile, uh, you know, it, it, you know, bad things happen, and all of a sudden our life just turns to, you know what? To dog poo. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. So when I retired from Starbucks, you know, I'd been there 21 years. I'd been on the board 12 years. And I actually retired with a little anger uh, about something. It, I won't go into that whole story. but And I held on to that anger. I would go to bed at night angry about it. I'd wake up in the morning angry about it. And over time, I started to get really depressed. And, I, you know, part of my anger was that all of a sudden, you know, I was, had been on this fast track, and I had so identified with Starbucks. It was such a part of me. And even though I had warned everybody, I'd say, you're not Starbucks, and Starbucks is not you. You were a whole person before you came to Starbucks. Well, I was a whole person became, before I went to Starbucks, too. I wasn't a kid. I was 44 years old. But I'd lost track of that. So 
you know, I got severely depressed. And it was over about a two-year period. And I really thought my life wasn't worth living. It was that serious. One day I was laying on the sofa. I was reading a book. My mind was drifting. And all of a sudden these words, and I, I'd been thinking about it all the time, right? You can't be angry, Howard. you got to find your way out of it. I was trying to do self-talk. I was doing affirmations. And it just wouldn't break. And finally I was laying on the sofa, and these words came into my head. Howard, your life's work is still your life's work. Howard, your life's work is still your life's work. It was amazing. I sa and I said, yes, it's true. You know, I'm talking to myself now, you know. Yeah. Howard was talking to Howie. <laughs> and uh, I started to repeat those words over and over again. I said to my wife, you know, I said, you know, you know, my life's work is still my life's work, isn't it? And she just looked at me and she said, yes, it is. So do you mean by that, like, you know, you're, you're, it's not, you're still building it and it's not over or like, what, what do you yeah, mean by that? Over, but my life's work is, I was about developing people. I love people. And I, my life's work at Starbucks was about growing people and about developing an organization that, that grew people, that respected people, that treated people with respect and dignity, that helped them be better than they thought they could be. And it was about that with me and that was my life's work about growing myself and growing others you know and nurturing and inspiring the human spirit of each person we meet yeah you know you're just totally reminding me of Teddy Roosevelt right now I have to tell you I've read so many biographies I, I love Teddy Roosevelt just in that spirit of like you know you know, self-talk and, and, and just inspiring others. And, and, yeah. um, but I have one final question for you. This would be great to know. In the book, it's not about coffee. You know, you got some feedback from somebody higher up. Um, you were just starting at the job, and um, they said that you can't wear your heart on your sleeve. And that really affected you, you know, that criticism. Right, it did. You know, I know you struggled in, in the book. It shares how you struggled with it and how you tried to change your personality. And then you were just so anxious all the time. And you finally had to come to this realization that you just couldn't do that. You had to be yourself. Right. You know, what is your advice for people who, you know, like for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm more of a sensitive type person. I'm tough, but I'm also sensitive. And so I totally get that dynamic of wearing your heart on your sleeve. It's, it's both the, the Achilles heel, but also what, what makes you you. Yeah. So, so how... How, how is that? How do you reconcile that? Well, you know, you have to decide what you're willing to give up. Look, if I, here's what I believe with all my heart and soul, that when you get up in the morning, you put on your hat, the hat that defines who you are as a person, what your values are, what, how you want to live your life, what you want to accomplish in your life. You've got to be able to wear that hat in your marriage. You've got to be able to wear that hat with your family, and, and you've got to be able to wear that hat with your spouse and your kids, and you've got to be wear, wear that hat at your work. If you've got to change your hat in each one of those places, you are not going to have a very rewarding and fulfilling life. You're going to have a life full of tension, anxiety, and disappointment. So you've got to find places where you can do that. And that doesn't mean tomorrow you go out and quit your job because you think, oh, I'm not, I'm not able to wear my hat here. But you've got to be able to talk about it in your workplace. Sometimes it's a boss, right, mm -hmm. that you just, somebody you report to, just you don't feel like they care about you, what they care about are the numbers first. You've got to have that conversation in that way, you know, I, you know, with your boss. You know, you say something like, you know, you'd like to have a conversation with them, and you sit down and you say, would it be okay to speak, say what's on my mind? And you do it with love in your heart and carrying your soul with no blame, and you say, I'm concerned about this. Help me to understand this. And I'm feeling like you like the numbers better than you like me. Which is and, very, very relevant in these days, that's for sure. 
Yeah, and you've got to be able to have those conversations. If you can't, then is it really worth being there? I mean, don't quit tomorrow, but go find a place where you can be who you are. Now, that doesn't mean everything you are. That doesn't mean, you know, you know there's this big argument going on as to what authenticity means, right? And uh, between Goldsmith and, and Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's at Stanford, Goldsmith is at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Is it Goldsmith or Goldmark? I forget what his name is. But anyway, uh, and once when uh, Pfeffer says, well, you can't possibly be authentic all the time, because he said, if you said everything that was on your mind all the time, then people would be blown away. Of course we don't. But being your authentic self also means that you have some self-discipline and self-control. We don't say everything that runs through our head all the time. Right. Because lots of stuff runs through that we don't really mean or all that just stuff that it's, it's noise. Mm-hmm. But it, we need to be who we are, you know, and we need to be able to live our life like that. Otherwise, it is really a disappointing life, and it's a stressful life. So find the places that you can be, and if you feel you're not, have the conversations first. Have the planning session with your spouse. You know, it's not just about you, though. It's about them, too, remember. Have, have the conversation with your boss. You know, whatever to have with your friend, whatever it is. You know, and, but it's always got to be with love in your heart, with no blame. Yeah, I love that. Well, compassionate emptiness. Thank you for that, uh, Howard. And I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me on uh, the Pippi Mama Life Outside the Cookie Cutter podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. I really appreciated speaking with Howard Bihar because he was totally authentic and down to earth. When I interview quote-unquote powerful people, I have found that most are so used to controlling the conversation with rehearsed sound bites, not Howard. Regardless if you have support in your life, I highly recommend Howard's books, It's Not About the Coffee and the Magic Cup.